So how are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. Nice. So do you want to tell the massive fans and audience members <laughs> what you do at ThoughtBot? Well, I'm Alex. I'm a mobile developer at ThoughtBot. I mostly focus on Android stuff, but just in the general mobile sphere. Derek said that you wanted to come on today to talk about Flutter and React Native. Is that still true? Yeah, sure. I think that's partially what Derek wanted me to talk about. But <laughs> yeah, I've got to talk about those things. What are your opinions on React Native, both as like a whole and then yeah. maybe we can get into the technical stuff? Yeah, I have a lot of mixed feelings coming from a few different angles. There's the feelings I have coming from a native Android developer's position, then the views that I have coming from like a holistic user's perspective and then kind of a business perspective. I'd say on the whole, I have a medium warm opinion about React Native. You can move fast. There's no doubt about it. I mean, it's hard mm -hmm. to argue that it's not faster than developing two native applications. And you get, it's the quality that you get out of it is one, constantly getting better. And two, for a lot of applications, I'd say at least good enough. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, definitely. I worked on a React Native project here at ThoughtBot and the client wanted to upload, I think it was 270 images. Okay. <laughs> and that was like butting up against of the limit of yeah. like React Native. And it's yeah. one of those like is this like a huge part of your app? Because yeah. like this is a kind of a classic example, in my opinion, of like when not to use React Native. Yeah. Because yeah. like, I mean, the amount of memory you need to upload that many photos is just expensive. And then, you know, the normal Android tooling for memory management and all of that, it's really difficult because yeah. so much of it is just kind of like under this umbrella of like React Native. Yeah. So it's hard to kind of debug and see what's going on. Yeah, definitely. It's interesting because that's a challenging problem just from the native standpoint, right? If you totally right. remove React Native from that equation, that's still pretty hard to do in Android. So mm -hmm. then you add in this big memory overhead and just all these layers of abstraction, then that doesn't yeah. sound that fun. <laughs> no, yeah. For that project, I was actually just helping another ThoughtBot developer. Mm -hmm. And I don't actually know what ended up happening because I think at some point my advice was like, I, I don't know, like we've reached the limit of my... Android like ability to help you like at this yeah. point probably just a developer pro I don't, I don't know <laughs> yeah yeah honestly and I, I mean I guess presumably the project like dropped down to the native plugins and all that sort of stuff but there's I mean you're still hitting bottlenecks and costs even from doing even when you do that yeah I think that what I like about React Native, and I agree with you on all points, um, especially coming from a you know native perspective. It's kind of like at first, you're like I've spent this whole all this time in my whole career being an Android developer, and now you're telling me that I don't need to do that anymore. <laughs> but I do think the tooling is really what's most interesting to me, and what we can learn a lot from because I think web developers have I don't want to say better tooling, just different tooling that in things like instant run and obviously yeah. like things loading immediately and yeah. the Chrome debugger, things like that, being able to use that for mobile development is awesome. And I hope that, you know, both Google and Apple are learning from those kind of tools and applying them to the native experience because that's yep. super helpful. I also really like that, um, you know, I thought about all the designers can code. And so it's nice that they can focus on the front end, yeah. which has always been something on mobile. It's kind of... I don't know, depending on your opinion of UI code, um, I happen to like it. But, you know, as a mobile developer, you have to do back end and front end and all of it. But oh, yeah, being able to yeah. kind of separate it, that's really awesome. Yeah, for sure. And that, yeah, that's a very good point. It also, if nothing else, it's a familiar system, which is, right. I, I would argue, one of its biggest benefits is just that it opens up the platform to way, way more people, like all totally. the web developers. 
Yeah. I think if you spoke to web developers, they would probably love it because it is a cool yeah. way to start talking about mobile. Yeah. I think where I start to have problems with it is that, you know, I think lists are, I've probably oh. talked about it on this podcast oh, before, yeah. but lists are the one area where I just kind of struggle with because both Android and iOS have their own abstractions over mm -hmm. how to render items in a list. Apple uses either table layouts or, you know, collection views, yep. and they have their abstraction of how they want to handle data sources matching up with the UI. And on Android, we have recycler views, a similar kind of situation. Mm. But then for React Native to come in and be like, we see your abstractions, yeah. hold my beer, and we're going to abstract yeah, yeah. on top of those abstractions. <laughs> I think that's yeah, hard I'll for web developers because, yeah, because you're not, it's not exposing them to like either framework's APIs, mm -hmm. which on the one hand, the whole point is that you shouldn't need to know each framework's APIs. But on the yep. other hand, when things go wrong, you do. It's, yeah. yeah. So that's where I think it gets hard. And I think as an Android developer who's like mostly supported React Native developers, mm -hmm. I have come into so many issues that I'm like, I off the top of my head don't know how to solve this because in my day to day development, this would have never, ha I couldn't yeah. have even recreated this if I wanted to. Yeah, for sure. We could transition at some point to some of the downsides of React Native because yeah. I've got I got a laundry list of those too. But yeah. I mean that's a very good point. There's there's bottlenecks that you hit that I'm shocked to discover I don't know really where to start because, mm -hmm. like you said, that just it would not have happened in the native right. sphere. Like if you had that sort of bottleneck, it would be, oh, are you pulling something from the database or from the network on the main thread? Otherwise, yep. this ain't happening unless you're doing something right. really wild. But then, yeah, like optimizing yeah. your re-renders and all that sort of stuff on React Native starts to become a primary thing that you need to think about. Yeah. I also find that compared to mobile, web development in general is less deterministic. Yeah. So in mobile, because we, most people, I think I speak for most develop, most mobile developers, we use IDEs and yep. the dependencies we use, you know, in good applications have specific versions. Yes. Whereas in web development, so much of it is your personal environment. Yeah which is so hard to replicate document. You can't, oh, yeah. you know, when you pull a repo, it doesn't necessarily, you know, specify what version of everything you have going. And yeah. I know there are tools and to help improve them up, but that's been my biggest frustration is like when it's my environment set up and I'm just like, I don't, how do I? <laughs> Absolutely. There've been so many times where the solution to a problem is like, delete your NPM folder and like, just, right. just do it all again. And, and admittedly, Certainly that happens in Android and in iOS development, yeah. but it seems like part of the normal workflow in React yes. Native is to just kind of blow everything up, try it all yep. again. Yeah. And that's that's really scary. No, I totally agree. And I think that, again, coming from like the mobile space, I'm always just like, I can't believe this isn't documented. Yeah. And then when you balance like the non-deterministic nature of React Native, especially their versioning, I feel like is always mm -hmm. kind of tricky with the like actual like with android specifically like versions matter and if you want to use dependencies they all have to yeah. kind of match up or sync up or yep. you know that can be a lot of issues and i find that that leads to build issues which again mm -hmm. i wouldn't experience yeah. as you know yep. a native mobile developer so when i'm helping people debug it's always these like crazy gradle which is yeah. a build system for android issues that yep. i'm like this is incredible i don't even i didn't even know gradle could do this <laughs> yeah yeah certainly <laughs> there's like I mean, one of the problems I hit in Android development fairly often, I assume you t you do too, mm -hmm. but maybe it's just my own problem, is like versions of Google Play services butting up against versions of Firebase, butting up against versions of the support library, and all that stuff is, is a problem you need to handle in native development. And right. then you add the React Native layer on top of it, and they do, I mean, whenever I look at the um, Gradle build files for any of the React Native projects, there's so much more going on than I'm ever used to. And reconciling those differences starts to become 
just like exactly like you were saying, it yeah. becomes entirely non-deterministic. Like yep. you, you just you got to blow everything away, and let's let's blow everything away a few times, yeah. and then try and build it. We'll see where we're at. You just it kind of the, the complexity explodes kind of exponentially as you start tying together all these different build systems. Right, and I think that the what that also leads to is then errors that are not really yeah. helpful or clear because. Yeah. Gradle is failing for some internal crazy reason, but it's not it's not obvious to you like in the same way in native, and I'm sure even in web, like the error isn't pointing to the code that you've written. It's no. like something that you've written is causing something to fail very far down the line. Yeah. And so you're kind of left to figure that out. Yeah. Which actually, very nice transition into Flutter. Because ah. we had Chris Thorne, a developer here in San Francisco, converted a React Native app that we had to Flutter, um, I think with some help from some other developers. Mm-hmm. And I found that the error handling and how they revealed errors to you was much, much better. Yes. And they kind of like did some figuring out for you and were like, this is what's wrong. This is where the code is broken, which was really nice. Yeah, the, I've only dipped my toes into Flutter, which I assume at this point is where most people are at, just because yeah. of the current state of the framework. But I've found at least the UI errors, I have never seen a more descriptive error message in my life. It will show right? on the screen. It'll show the part that's like, uh, you know, if you have overdrawn your bounds or something like that. It'll show you in this like checkered yellow black box, hey, this is where it's gone over. It's gone over by 70 pixels. And it'll give you this big tree layout and describe the parts that are wrong. Like, oh yeah. my God, thank you it's so incredible. much. My yeah. hand is being held so nicely and gently. Yeah, it's definitely a lesson to be learned for people who are, you know, wanting, like, I'm not this crazy. I would never want to create my own framework. <laughs> but if you start, it seems like they did start from like a tooling first perspective. Yeah. And that's like been a huge priority. I even think the setup through Flutter was a lot simpler. Yeah. To switch from like building the, when Chris Thorne had it set up, he had only an iOS uh, simulator running and we just opened an Android emulator and hit play and it ran. Yeah. I, Amazing. Like, I've never had that experience with React Native. Yeah, like you always yeah. have to have a full Xcode setup and a full Android Studio setup. Mm-hmm. And so that was really cool. Yeah. I've found, there have been a lot of things that I've really liked about the, once again, admittedly limited Flutter development that I've done. I've found the UI paradigm to be similar enough to React Native that I I feel like it pulls some of the positives from React Native, like that sort of JSX declarative build style, and mm-hmm. then distinct enough that I don't feel like I fall into some of the issues I have with the React Native's build system. I like yeah. that it's just, it's normal code. Mm-hmm. And React Native is 80% there. Right. Uh, but then it uses all the JSX stuff, and I know that some people love that, but right. I really appreciate the basic normal code element that the widget tree structure yeah. has. Yeah, it doesn't require so much of the React part of React Native. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> that's also a big ask, I think, even for web developers who aren't necessarily comfortable or familiar with React. Mm-hmm. And that's the other thing which I found kind of interesting, just going into different, you know, frameworks and platforms. I feel like on Android, I'm very aware of the different ways that people structure projects. And if you, yep. you know, gave me a new project, I would know where to look for files and you figure out pretty quickly, okay, this app either, you know, structures things by what the feature is or just by what type of file it is. And you kind of figure that out pretty quickly. Whereas I feel like on React, in my experience, like there aren't like just two big camps. It's like yeah. there's a many, many more different types of structures. So when I go into like edit or try and debug something, I'm always like, what am I looking at? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and like, where are my actions? Where are my reducers? Like, right. A yeah. lot of times I've found duplicate file names and all that sort of stuff that really throws me off in a way that I would not, I never see that in um, any yeah. Java or iOS-based development. Right. 
And I do wonder how much of that also has to do with the fact that like we develop in an yeah. IDE. So yeah. like it encourages this type of behavior and, you know, organization, whereas in web it's, you know, to each developer's preference, you know, Vim, Emacs, whatever, if you want to yep. use, you can use a text editor, but yeah. So what don't you like about the two now that we've said so many nice things? <laughs> yeah, uh, I'll dive into React Native first. So I feel like the elephant in the room whenever you talk about React Native, and that's it's JavaScript. <laughs> I, I genuinely, yeah. the last time I, I took a swing at, at a React Native project, I genuinely tried to mm -hmm. love JavaScript. Because yeah. I know that there are people who really adore yeah. the language and, and are enthused by how powerful it is and how freeing it is. And what I found was just time after time, if you if you kind of hold to that XKCD article of like WTFs per minute, yep. my WTFs per minute in JavaScript are through the roof. Yeah. So I I really struggled with that. Have you ever played around with a React Native project that also uses TypeScript or some other kind of library to help fake types a little bit? Yeah, I did. There was one project that people in the Boston ThoughtBot office were working on that used TypeScript. And I played around with it a little bit and that helped a lot. Yeah, a huge amount. So, yeah, because ThoughtBot is obviously very into test-driven development, mm -hmm. and I try and bring it over to mobile as much as I can. But when some of their tests, you know, just have to assert that a string is a string, yeah, where I'm like, I know that, and yeah, the computer yeah. knows that, and we all yeah. are in agreement about that. It's like yeah. when we talk about TDD with web developers, it's like, all right, you've got a whole other set of things you've got to handle over yeah. here, and like, <laughs> yeah. there's some things that I just kind of like. Nothing will work if I t if I expect a string and it gives me back a number where everything is messed up. <laughs> yeah, certainly. I also found that my trust in the system uh, was zero. I had, yeah. I had zero trust at any point in time. Like if I was in a normal Android or iOS application and I, mm. let's say, deleted a file that's still right. being used, that's going nowhere. My project's yeah. not, it's not even going to build. The IDE right. won't even, probably won't even send it off to the compile phase. We'll yeah. just be like, no, this is wrong. Yeah. But in... JavaScript land, React Native land, it is A-OK -okay with that right yep. up until you get to that screen. And that's yeah. terrifying. Yeah. Having a compiler is nice. It is very nice. Even though 20 minutes ago, I think I said that I liked having instant run for yeah. React Native. So oh, I can't yeah. be pleased. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, it kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier. The tooling, yeah. at least the, the speed of mm -hmm. the tooling is phenomenal. Yep. And that's something I'm, uh, the project that I'm working on right now, I'll wait four to five minutes for a Gradle Ooh. build and yeah it eviscerates your productivity so that is very very nice yeah there's a specific type of ADD that I like to joke with Android developers which is like Android DD <laughs> <laughs> where you start you know compiling your app but in 45 minutes then you go on Reddit you go on Twitter and then yeah, by the time it's exactly. built you don't even remember what you were trying to test or look oh, at yeah. so you're like I guess I have to build it again yep yep <laughs> yep I know that flow <laughs> <laughs> yeah I've heard some people that exercise during that time. Like they'll do push-ups or they'll do pull-ups or something like that. And they oh say gosh. that it's very, very uh, effective, efficient yeah, way to stay would... in shape. Yeah, and then be exhausted at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, also that. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, yeah so I, I think that we are both pretty much on the same page for React Native. <laughs> what are, have you run into anything about Flutter that you don't like? Yeah, so this is hopefully not a cop-out, but um, mm -hmm. it's early. It is yeah. still early, and there's people who are trying to push it as, no, no, it's ready to go, it's ready to go, you can build production apps with it. But just the other day, I was looking into how to add a map into my application, like a, mm -hmm. just a map that you can interact with and all that jazz. And the answer was basically, yeah, you don't do that yet. Yeah. Which is like, oh, all right, <laughs> then we're not there yet. We're, yep. not, we're not at a point where I would release this. 
yeah. to, for a, a client or anything along those lines. I was talking to someone else the other day about client work in general, and I find that uh, I was kind of making a joke about of the things I've learned and all my experience in consulting is that so many people, regardless of their product or their company, they want a map in their app. There's something yeah. about maps that people are like, we want a map. And I'm like, does it make sense? Does it solve your problem? Is this necessary? And they're like, but like, it's just cool. Like if users could like see things on a map and or it's like, you know, show them where they are on the map. And I'm like, I think they know where they are. Like, are you showing it in relation to something else? Is this helpful? But yeah, if you don't have maps, I mean, you can't, yeah, it doesn't work for consulting because everyone wants a map. Yeah, certainly. And it's not, it's also not just maps. I think that anything that uses a, like a surface view in Android is yeah. still an open question mark in oh, Flutter totally. because it just doesn't fit into their current view model, which makes sense. Right. And I'm sure that whatever the iOS equivalent is, I think yeah. layers is probably yep. a similar situation because yes. those things are, I mean, they're meant for games and for yeah. like when you need actually to control like the CPU and all of that. So yeah. I imagine those are the hardest things to abstract over. Yeah. So that's that's kind of the big thing that's that's kept me from jumping all in. So we have a framework from Facebook. We have a framework from Google. And Google has Android. Do you think that Apple will ever release a framework for both, for, you know, one platform for uh, all mobile? No way. Because they, <laughs> I mean, they don't care about yeah. anything that's not in the Apple ecosystem at all. <laughs> yeah. So what would, their, what would their incentive be? Yeah. Like what? Oh, it'll make it better on Android? Whatever. Yeah. At this point, they're more likely to make Swift just compile on Android somehow. Yeah. I mean, which it already, I think you can. I know with Kotlin too, yeah. use Kotlin, you can compile down to C, which then yep. can be converted to Objective-C. So you can write iOS apps in Kotlin. Yeah. So I imagine the reverse is possible. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I, I totally agree that Apple's not going to yeah. enter this ballgame. Well, that's another, I think that's another interesting avenue too. I know a lot of people that are, they're holding off on React Native or, or Flutter or any of the other current cross-platform development ecosystems out there waiting for something like Swift Native or Kotlin Native to become usable enough yeah. that you could realistically kind of build your whole model-y backend in one yeah. of these languages and then fall back to the native framework for the front end. And I think both languages are kind of pushing that. I know that like, you know, Swift partnered, I think IBM is starting to do a lot in, you know, Swift native or just, I guess it's Swift. It's not yeah. in Kotlin. We call it Kotlin and Kotlin native, yeah, but yeah. in Swift, it's just one. So I know that IBM is doing that with Swift. I know that Kotlin is doing it with some companies who I can't remember off the top of my head right now. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see kind of if one wins out or yeah. if we just continue down this path. Yeah. So I think there's some fundamental limiters there though, because I know... A lot of people, myself included, when they hear, I'll defer to Kotlin because that's the yeah. thing I know better. When they hear Kotlin native, they and I think, oh man, I'll be able to use Retrofit, my favorite networking stack, and all these different libraries that I use. But it's yeah. like, well, no, those are JVM targeted libraries. Right. So we're yeah. going to have to come up with answers for all of this stuff again. Yeah. It's kind of I like, will say oh. over Christmas for the Ralph Palooza, I worked on a Kotlin native project. Oh, yeah. And yeah, it was it was interesting because you get all the standard library stuff, which is the stuff that I like a lot about Kotlin. So that was really nice. I and mean, I was trying to hook up a Raspberry Pi to a breadboard to show like lights to show when BART trains. We made a piece of artwork in the oh, San Francisco nice. office to show like where BART trains are relative to the station closest to our office. Nice. And so I spent two days literally just trying to get a light to blink on this board yeah. using Kotlin native yeah. and the Raspberry Pi. And even that like you know, there was a library that would basically is like an interface between the board and whatever language you wanted to write. And that one was in Kotlin, which was pretty cool. But it was definitely, 
you forget, or at least I forget as an indoor developer, how much of what I consider Kotlin in my brain is not Kotlin and it's groovy mm -hmm. or oh, it's yeah. some other component to Android development as opposed to just the language. And so that's the thing that I always have to like remind myself is like, yes, I know Kotlin, but like, I also like if you ask me to compile Kotlin without Groovy and like without yeah. you know the whole Android environment, like that's a different ballgame. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Did you get the light to blink? I did. We got the oh, light. Nice. Um, yeah, we ended up using Python um, and not Kotlin native oh, because it, no. <laughs> they were just making. So, it was a me, a designer, and a web developer, and he mm -hmm. just knew Python, so was able to get it up and running so much yeah. faster. Meanwhile, I was not even a little bit embarrassed to admit this, but so I was following a tutorial for getting Kotlin native set up, sure. and you need to run it on a Linux machine. Oh, but that was <laughs> that was not. I was not doing that at first, which like because the Raspberry Pi I think runs on Linux, and so. Once you realize that, you're like, well, obviously. But I, for some reason at the time, was like, kept trying to run it on my Mac and I was running yeah. into all these crazy errors and like literally yeah. Stack Overflow had no answers because no, like, <laughs> it wouldn't make any sense that. to even do this. Yeah. So that was pretty embarrassing. Yeah, that's so fair. That, that's that's I lost something like two hours. Do. Yeah. And you're like, oh, right. Of course. <laughs> like the tutorial didn't even mention it because like I think that, you know, they just, the author just assumed reasonably that like yeah. someone would be aware. Of course, this has to be run on Linux. Yeah. <laughs> that's so that was very funny. But yeah, so um, I don't know how hopeful I am that either of those solutions will actually replace the existing cross-platform solutions. Yeah. Because I mean, the business incentives are enormous, right? Oh, like yeah. The, the amount of money it takes to team both separate Android and iOS teams, it's huge. A good cross-platform solution is like it will be gotten soon. Mm -hmm. It's just so much money is riding on it. Yeah, I think that for me, it's not even just like the money. It's like if you know if an iOS developer and Android developer are going to build an application and they're going to run into a problem if you don't have like good team communication or you know an iOS developer doesn't really know Android or vice versa you know they're if you're not forcing that on them they can run into a bug lose a day solving it and if that information isn't communicated over to the other developer that's the other loss that just kind of compounds which oh, is yeah. like the knowledge isn't being shared cross platform by default whereas if it was you know one language or one thing, you'd only have to solve it and figure it out one time. Yeah, for sure. You you end up making the same mistakes over and over again, and you hit the same bugs, and the same design yeah. decisions kind of pop up. So, yeah, it's definitely really interesting. I'm not gonna be, you know, hopefully doing too much React Native. It's not my <laughs> preference, but I definitely get the appeal. I think to your point, the business advantages are probably the number one advantages, in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. I think that like if you're if you're trying to nail time to market and you need to move fast too, it, it makes yeah. perfect sense. And if your app is like, you know, I don't say basic, but like is just, you know, detail pages and list yep. pages, yep. maybe a checkout or whatever, things like that, and doesn't involve uploading 270 <laughs> images, it's a great candidate. Um, yep. I think when you start to want to do things that, you know, really need more of the hardware game, I can't imagine no, building a yeah. game. I don't even know if that's possible, yeah. you know, using React Native. That's where it gets a little hairy. Yeah. I'm excited, too, to see the React Native community continue to mature. Because it's still, mm -hmm. I mean, it's still not at 1.0, right? I think it's at yeah, I don't think so. 0.56, something along those lines. Yeah. But um, I'm hopeful that once it does kind of release that, hit that 1.0 milestone, and the, the community and the SDK stops being so in flux, that it'll mm -hmm. start to, to stabilize and become something that you can kind of lean on more. Yeah. 
the one thing I will say, another positive about React Native, which I think is cool, is how many you know big companies came out and just created libraries for so much, yeah. so many components. I mean, Airbnb comes to mind yeah. first. They have so many React yeah. Native libraries for maps, for that Lottie works on React Native, yep. so all that kind of stuff. That feels really cool as compared to, I mean, on Android and iOS, obviously, there's a ton of open source you know libraries and frameworks to help you with things, but this just feels like it happened as React Native was growing, like these libraries were growing and they were learning from it and with it. And that's always really cool when it's community driven. Yeah, for sure. It does seem like there's a really concerted effort from a lot of key players to make this work, which oh, means yeah. it probably will work. Yeah. Because that's the, I mean, adoption is the biggest question and right. React Native is already is quickly, quickly yeah. kind of blowing up the scene. So. I would love to do like a Coke and Pepsi test with React Native. If someone gave me like an Android phone with two different apps and asked me if I could tell you which one was React Native and yeah. which one was native. I've tried to like look at a React Native app and like be like, can I tell? Is there a difference? And I feel like there are like some little things where I'm like, I think I'm noticing this, but I don't know if it's just because I know it's a React Native app and I'm looking to see yeah, a difference. Yeah. So I'd love to know like what big players out there, like Airbnb, like how much, if any, of their app is React Native. Yeah. I think I heard a rumor once that Instagram's setting page yeah. was React Native but I can't confirm that. Uh, we'll check and add the show notes if that ends up being true. Yeah, I know that I know that Instagram has definitely has a few pages that are React Native. I remember reading an article at one point. It was either from Airbnb or Instagram about their strategy of removing their existing web views and replacing them with oh, React Native views. That makes sense. And they kind of praised the performance gains they were getting and all that sort of stuff. But I think some of that information was then misconstrued to kind right. of lead to the conclusion of, wow, they got, you know, performance got this much better over native. Like that's, that's right. astounding. When in yeah. reality it was, the bar was low. We were getting rid of web views. So right. still, still yeah. good, still a great thing, but, but let's not count our yeah, eggs. Yeah, I think I'd also be curious because, you know, this was something that I had at Venmo, a big part uh, when the app initially launched. A lot of the app was web views because you could share across both platforms. But that's obviously not really native on either. So I'd be curious to hear about companies who are starting now. Like, does it make sense to start with, you know, a React Native app and slowly convert both to native? Well, instead of using web views, basically using React Native. Mm -hmm. Or would it make more sense to start with a native app, but just have most of your screens be React Native, except for maybe like one or two? The interoperability there, I'd be super curious about. Yeah, I really haven't played around with many apps that are primarily native and then drop in a few React Native or even Flutter elements. Yeah. I don't have a good sense of what that flow is like. Yeah, or how if like the APK size too on Android is always yeah. a concern. Like if that, yep. if it's just not worth it as compared to a web view kind of yep. thing. Yeah. Super That's curious. Interesting question. I'm also interested, you know, that the talk about cross platform is blowing up, but there have been existing solutions for a long time. So like what's happening with Xamarin these days? <laughs> Cause that was like the go-to thing. Like, Oh, you either do native yeah. iOS and native Android or you do Xamarin, but it just seems to have fallen off the wayside. I never used it, but I think the fact that we're not talking about it anymore, there must have been flaws, you know, with it yeah. or some reason why it, it didn't pick up like React Native is picking up. Yeah. I looked very briefly at some Xamarin projects, and for the most part, they seem to do a good job of emulating the existing native structure. Mm. So you, I think that they moved more towards the write the model once and then write the UI separately for each. Gotcha. And it just would, would map like almost one-to-one, -one, the Xamarin methods to the Android and or iOS methods. Yeah. Whereas React Native and Flutter, they provide that layer of abstraction 
that both allows right. you to be cross-platform and, I think, importantly, makes it easier to do the native development. You know, you just... Yep. You don't have to then create new activities and view controllers and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. You get this whole system given to you. Right. That might have been a huge factor. Not really. I don't know <laughs> what happened there. Yeah. I wonder if, like, that's what people, will, you know, in a year, that's what this pot, like, you know, on Bike Show will be talking about. What happened to React Native? Like, yeah. we all switch to whatever the new thing is. Yeah, yeah. Whatever the new hotness is. Yeah. But yeah. no, I'm definitely grateful is a strong word. But I, I guess grateful is the word um, for <laughs> React Native because I think it has... At least for me at ThoughtBot for a long time, I was one, I mean, the Android team was very small, if not just me. And so being mm. able to work with and pair with web developers was really yeah. cool. Yeah. And being able to communicate through some, like, we both were able to, like, learn from each other, you know, me about web and them about Android build systems and mobile and things like that. On the other hand, it also does expose some things that I think we just as Android developers get used to. Yep. Like, releasing to the Play Store is a huge one where I think that... <laughs> On the Play Store, there's uh, internal now, alpha, beta, and production. And the order goes, production is obviously, you know, out in the public, then alpha, then beta, then internal in terms of, like, how you would release something up. Um, and you can skip any of those if you want. But that's the one thing that I find myself continually having to explain because people just forget or get confused. And it's oh, yeah. not obvious that there's, like, this sort of linear ordering of them. Yeah. And there's also, I mean, this is another point towards React Native, which is, Dealing with that release cycle is painful, and especially when you come yeah. from a web, a, like a web development position, where you push your code and it's there. That's right. That's your turnaround cycle. Yeah. With React Native, you're starting to see some of these solutions where you can actually like pull your JavaScript down from the server and all that sort of jazz. Yeah. Which is interesting too, because I remember back in the day when both Apple and Google were saying like, no, 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 no. If you yeah. ever have anything that's like pulling down new code, not on yeah. board with that. Yeah. But somehow they both. Kind of just turned a blind eye for this. Yeah, I think there was some other library component that was doing something like that. I think they both are still against that because I think now mm. the way like the way React Native gets around is that it's actually like you know built and compiled with the app when it ships. So like you can't change the JavaScript code after release. Is my understanding? I think you can. I think that there's a bunch of like big solutions like Microsoft solutions and all that sort of stuff. Oh for, wow! For, yeah, yeah, that seems not great. And back to deterministic yeah. versioning, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then you also, assuming that that is the situation, you run into the what is kind of an equally brutal situation where you can update your JavaScript, but obviously you can't update native code. Right. So if things get out of whack with each other, that's yeah. a nightmare. And then I just like always think about bug reporting and like users are like, this isn't working. And you're like, what version? Oh, wait, we can't like, what day was it? And, you know, figuring yeah. out all the details just kind of becomes a mess. Yeah. Yeah, that's wild. Well, it's exciting, though. It is exciting. And it definitely, I mean, all this stuff pushes mobile development further. Absolutely. It's all progressing. Yeah. Mobile development. So I'm thankful for all of it. So IO, Google IO is next week, switching mm -hmm. over to native. Are you excited? Are there any sessions that you've read about? Any, you know, insider information or? <laughs> I'm excited for material design 2.0 stuff, which at this point I think is like the worst kept secret in the world. Yeah. I'm excited for the Flutter talk, since there's going to be some yep. Flutter stuff there. I'm super excited to see how uh, the architecture components progress. I'm very excited across the board. There's yeah. a lot of stuff. Yeah, <laughs> architecture no, I totally components. agree. Super jazz on that. I haven't actually looked at the speaker lineup, but I'm hoping that there's more like Jake Wharton, Kotlin. He is uh, giving speeches. a talk. He's been like That's tweeting like his slides and like the struggles that he's been awesome. having. So he's giving one on um, ATX. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Yeah. That's the thing. That's what yep. I was hoping he would do. 
super excited for that. There's tons yeah. of stuff. I think that'll be awesome. I'm excited too. I've uh, on Twitter I saw some things about a new like uh, in a resource directory a navigation type resource which people oh. s- are like speculating might be like a storyboard equivalent like in for Android. I have no idea if that's if that's what it's going to be like mm-hmm. or if it's just you're going to be nav bars or you know tabs things like that. I have no idea, but because of the open source nature people are like looking at like decompiled source code and being yeah. like, "Ooh, what's this?" Mm-hmm. But most importantly, P. What do you think P is going to stand for? Which we won't know until the fall, but uh, they'll tease it now. Let's see. I haven't given it that much thought. What are some candies that start with P? Peppermint. It's going to be peppermint. Ooh, peppermint. That's a good one. Yeah. I thought it was going to be peeps. Peeps. But then we, instead of we wouldn't call ourselves androids, we'd be peeps. <laughs> Actually, that would be pretty great. Just for the <laughs> just for the pun material. Yeah. I'd vote for that one. Yeah, I mean, if that's not how you pick something, I don't, I don't know what they're <laughs> I mean, doing. Yeah, I imagine that's got to be it. Yeah. Are there any other candies that start with P? I mean, peanut. That's, it's not really a candy. I don't, I don't know if I would. <laughs> but nougat to me wasn't really like That a, is true. Yeah, it's like that's yeah. an ingredient. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Confused. So peanuts, an ingredient. <laughs> yeah. Then you get the true. whole allergy, you know, oh, jokes, yeah. opportunity. Yeah, can't, can't have that. Nope. Yeah. A whole, a whole class of Android developers drop out because they're just allergic to the platform now. Yeah. Slightly off topic, but kind of related. <laughs> um, so the San Francisco Giants, who I'm a big fan of, have a new marketing slogan this year, okay. which is That's So SF. And I just keep thinking, like, if I were a marketing person, which I am very much not, (laughs) I would really try hard to pick a slogan that only worked in the positive connotations of phrasings. So, like, if Mm. they lose a game by 100 runs, you'd be like, that's OSF. And That's that's true. That's a very, it's a very neutral phrase. Maybe that's why, maybe that's why they went with it. They were trying to like couch expectations. They were like, <laughs> look, everybody. Yeah. That's but very like, so SF. For Peanut, I just think that like, if you're going to make it and then you know that people are going to use it in both negative and positive connotations, maybe we don't use Peanut. <laughs> yeah. I would protest outside of Mountain View if they chose <laughs> Peanut. That ain't a candy. Yeah. That and then the character would look too much like Mr. Peanut. Yeah, exactly. Like, I like you're just giving up at that point. Oh, you just yeah. call it and, and change it to some other theme. <laughs> but yeah, no, I like peppermint. That seems reasonable because yeah. then you don't also have like the contract with the Peeps company. Yeah, that that is true. Yeah, but they did that for, for Kat, right? Yeah, and Oreo. Oh, and Oreo. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder what that process was like. Wonder how oh, much gosh. money got paid out to those candy yeah. companies. I think it would just be fun to be one of those lawyers because yeah. you're like, "How are you using our name? Is it going to hurt our brand?" Like, <laughs> and all this stuff. And they're like, "We don't, we don't know. It just, it's a cool candy." Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> calm down. All right, yeah. <laughs> it'll help your business. Whatever. Yeah. More people will have heard of Oreos now. Not yeah. sure if you needed that, but. Yeah, I was going to say, I took a marketing class in college and there was like, I just have this vivid memory of when you talk about brands that just love partnering, Oreo Mm. has partnered with, I mean, every company under the sun. You can get Oreo flavored anything. Really? There are like Oreo candles, there's Oreo like dish soap, there's every type of food, you know, they can partner with. All this sounds great. (laughs) (laughs) I want want one of all of these Oreo candles. Yeah. Sign me up. Right? Like, what a great way to wake up in the morning. Just, like, come home or, like, you know, you wake up, you light your Oreo can. Or, like, today's going to yeah. be a good day. Today's going to be a sweet day. <laughs> they had the cereal, too. Oreo-O's. Yeah. Oh, was, gosh. Yeah. That was big cereal just giving up. Oh, all yeah. Like, all right. We said part of a balanced diet for some of this stuff. But yep. just just eat, eat these. Just eat Oreos. <laughs> yeah. Just here's a bowl of sugar and it's going to be delicious. Yeah, is that it? Yeah, I saw someone uh, on Twitter recently posted something about how Oreo was doing something cookies and cream flavored. Ooh. And they were like, Oreo, do you understand what <laughs> like, 
cookies and cream equals Oreos. Yeah, so. yeah. I was gonna say like, <laughs> how I, you... is it is it just an Oreo? It's is an it Oreo flavored Oreo. Oreos. Yeah. Because <laughs> I could still get on board with that. If you took an Oreo and you made like the stuffing crumbled oh. up Oreos, and then you coated yep. the outside and crumbled up Oreos, yeah, that would be delicious. My mom actually just sent me as a gift chocolate covered Oreos, which Ooh. blew my mind. I've Isn't always, that again just an Oreo? It, it, but it's like the melty, like milk chocolate. Ah. And I've always like thought that you know I would never buy regular Oreos. I'd always buy double stuff because that's that's where you want the extra. But now yeah. I know that I've been wrong all these years. And in fact, the extra is just more different chocolate on the outside. Mm. See, I've always liked the actual cookie part more than the cream. What? So if I could, yeah, yeah. I don't. I mean, so maybe I'm not sure I don't you're like be Oreos. Back. Like, <laughs> yeah, may, maybe I just like. Like chocolate cookies. <laughs> and Oreos are just an unfortunate delivery mechanism. Oh, my God. But so I would like, yeah, this is this is savage. Yeah. So, yeah <laughs> listeners beware. Yeah. Uh, I, would, I would take apart the Oreo and then wipe off the cream and like throw it away. Oh, my God. And then just eat, eat the cookies. God, your poor parents. They must have been like, what have we raised? <laughs> yeah, what's wrong with this child? <laughs> but what kind of stuff are you excited for? All, I think material design, for sure. I'm curious to see the reboot. I think that'll be really interesting. Architecture components as well. I haven't started using any of them in projects yet, mm-hmm. just because I don't like to use those things first. I like other people mm-hmm. to use them because not only does that fix bugs, but it means there are more blog posts and more like education mm-hmm. materials out there from the community, which I really enjoy. And then, yeah, just more Kotlin. Like, I'm curious to hear what the updates are. I'm curious what the numbers are in terms of adoption and mm-hmm. applications and things like that. And then, as always, testing. Because yep. I still kind of feel like there could be an I.O. where Google just announces that, like, they fixed or greatly improved testing. Or, like, you know, I think for me, the hardest part about testing in Android is resources and yeah. getting away from that. Because yeah. even if you want to just test your business logic, if you're using strings, then yeah. you need yeah. the framework. So that's the kind of stuff that I'm always, like, maybe this is the year. Yeah, that would be very cool. Speaking of testing, this is kind of somewhat tangential, but have you ever used the Espresso screen recorder? I have not. I was super jazzed for that when I heard of it and then never used it and never heard of anyone using it. I think a lot of that stuff makes a lot more sense at big product companies. I Mm. feel like LinkedIn uses it and I don't Mm. know if you work at LinkedIn and that's a lie. I'm so sorry. But I, I just feel like LinkedIn is really great with, they have an incredible blog post, I will link to it in the show notes, about language resources and how they test the app to make sure it looks right using all the various different languages, which is really interesting. And so I think that they use screen recording for a lot of that to kind of help with. But yeah, I think a lot of, the more automation you can do, the better. I just think the investment has to be worth it. And for me yeah. in consulting, given the nature of like, the products aren't just like little things that are changing. It's mm-hmm. like, the whole application yeah. is changing. So yeah. the investment in, you know, setting up those kind of tests, I just, I wouldn't see the returns on those. So unit testing yep. has just always been a better fit for the type of work that we do here. But I think at big product companies, the investment makes sense, especially where like the core functionality of your app is the thing that you'd want to be testing. So at Venmo, I always think about like, they always test no matter what the version of the release is that you can still pay someone because that's yeah. the entire point of the app. So if that doesn't work, no one cares if something else is like, you know, if a button's yeah. misaligned or something else yeah. doesn't work, if you can't yeah. do the one thing the app is supposed to do. For sure. So, yeah. Yeah, it would be great if they just came out with a total overhaul of testing in general, even on, on both yeah. sides of it. I mean, unit testing has gotten way better. And since they introduced the um, kind of the ability to have like a shell Android as part of your unit tests, yeah. that's been really nice. Yeah. Dangerous, but. Yeah, it's like you're getting away from like, you're, it's like not really a unit test anymore, but like, yeah, yeah. yeah. But there's enough little things where like, all right, I can import Android tidbits right. and still run my unit tests. Like, yeah. 
Good. I'm happy yeah. about that. Yeah. It's all back to the resources. If we yeah. could just keep those separate. So I'm, I'm hopeful. Yeah. I'm always well, hopeful. Yeah. So I think I always, next Monday, Tuesday? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So this is actually going to be my last bike shed. Hello. Tomorrow is my last day at ThoughtBot. And so Hello. I'll actually be fun employed next week. And I'm pretty excited Hello. to just sit at home on my couch and watch all of the IO sessions. So I'm pretty jazzed. <laughs> yeah, you'll be able to actually like live stream them as they happen. Like all day, I have literally nothing else to do. So I'm just gonna be watching IO. And there you it go. was funny, I tried to see if I could, you know, coordinate my time off to also include DubDub. So I could just like Ooh, really yeah. nerd out and watch all the yeah, sessions. Pack that. it all in. Yeah, but that would be like a month and a half off. And I was like, <laughs> I need to pay rent. So not a great <laughs> idea. But I lined it up for IO. So there you go. Maybe you can you can submit like Twitter questions and all that stuff. Mm, I think they yep. start to do that now. Yeah. Yeah, that would be very cool. Yeah, <laughs> that's I think that's possibly the nerdiest thing I can imagine. Being yep. jazzed for your vacation. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I get to watch programming lessons <laughs> all day. Like, I mean, right. <laughs> they spend a lot of time producing them. They get, some of them are really yeah. good. Yeah, that's true. Some of them yeah. are funny, too. I like yeah. when they inject a little bit of humor. Mm, yeah. It's, it's Also, I find that like in past years, it's always super easy to watch the keynote. But the hard part is like explaining, especially in clients, to be like, so you know how I like took two hours yesterday to watch the keynote? <laughs> like There are sessions all day that I want to watch. So like, <laughs> Whereas I feel like DubDub... I don't know if it's just because like this is my experience with iOS developers, but like they'll be like they'll take a week off and just be like I'm gonna just watch sessions because oh, the tickets are like sixteen hundred dollars. Yeah, they're, they're and then absurd. the sessions are free. I mean, on both sides, and you can yeah, yeah. So yeah, no, I'm excited. I've also found that at least the WWDC sessions that I've watched have been full of how-to content and very, yes. very much structured as like a solid learning classroom yeah. section. Whereas the I.O. sessions that I've watched and been to have been looser. They've yeah. been faster and looser. Kind of like, here's some new stuff. Like, right. check it out. Yeah. I have always felt that Apple has a much more, a stronger hand in terms of like, mm -hmm. this is how we want you to build iOS applications. Yes. Um, and this is, you know, this is the right way to do it. Whereas Android has always been like, here's all the raw information. Yep. Godspeed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, and I think that last year seemed like when they announced Kotlin, they also, like, even the way they presented the architecture components, that was the first time I felt like, okay, now, like, I feel like you are teaching me, which, like, should be the case because you wrote the framework. So, you yeah. you have the best knowledge of how you intended it to be used. And so, like, show yeah, us, absolutely. you know, the happy path and then show us the edge cases and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I've been super jazzed on what they've been mm -hmm. doing with the architecture components. I think that even if I had to compare architecture components to Kotlin, about which one yeah. I think is kind of more vital for the Android community, yeah. I'd go with architecture components. Yeah. So I think it's, it's like you were saying, it's Google starting to step in and say, hey, we have an opinion. Right. And this is a good way to write Android apps. Yeah. And it's still, still flowing. It's still developing. Yeah. but. It's very welcomed from my end. Oh, absolutely. Uh, we've talked about this a lot uh, offline, but about if you want to have tabs, Google mm. has like four different ways oh, yeah. to show tabs. Yeah. And you're like, could like the material design guidelines like come in with like, could there be a link of like, this is when you should use this, this is when you should use this. Whereas like some of the guidelines tell you like when to use it, but it's like, okay, they want me to use a bottom bar navigation. Great. There is actually a widget called bottom bar navigation. Yeah. There's also a widget called toolbar, which like yeah, I could put yeah. anywhere on the screen so I could put it on yeah, the bottom. Including so. the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I'm hopeful that as they kind of dive into the material design 2.0 stuff, a lot of the criticism that they got when 1.0 came out was that they gave us this beautiful design spec and then almost no yep. uh, ability to implement it. Yeah. And even got a little sassy when people were like, hey, I want a fab. Right. And they were like, oh, just build it yourself. Yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of hopeful that as 
2.0 rolls out that they've learned some lessons and maybe yep. maybe it'll be a bit more cohesive. Yes, that would be excellent. All right. Uh, I think we can wrap it up. Show notes for this episode can be found at bikeshed.fm. If you have any feedback, you can tweet us at underscore bikeshed or leave a comment on the website. Thanks for listening. And thank you all for having me as your host. Best of luck in the future. We'll miss you, Amanda. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. We are experienced designers and developers who turn your idea into the right product. With local studios in Boston, San Francisco, New York, London, Austin, and Raleigh, let's build something great together.